This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Think of that feeling when you finish a walk, run, or workout. You're refreshed, calm, and even a little proud. Therapy can feel the same, but for your mind. Build your mental strength at betterhelp.com super. Hey, brother! Boy, oh boy, you guys. I have to tell you, the Fantastic Beast movies have been quite a journey. At the release of the first installment back in 2016, I was so excited for everything they had in store. And I immediately loved Newt and Jacob and Queenie and Tina and just, just the whole crew. There was just something so excited about the wizarding world expanding and backfilling all the little pieces of the story that we sort of knew happened, but now we got like the details. Cause like the Harry Potter books don't really spend a whole lot of time on Grindelwald and his rise to power, but they clearly played a huge part of Dumbledore's history, which plays a huge part in all of what Harry's dealing with in Deathly Hallows. And the bridge between the two stories like narratively happens at kind of an odd spot. It's effectively built at the end of Harry's story to lay the groundwork to tell a story that happened 70 years ago. But from Crumb identifying Grindelwald's mark at Bill and Fleur's wedding, the entire life and lives of Albus Dumbledore book, the emphasis on the quest for the Deathly Hallows themselves, the raw relationship between Aberforth and Albus, the portrait of Ariana, Bethilda Bagshot, and finally Dumbledore's confession in King's Cross. Like there's a lot of Dumbledore backstory happening in Deathly Hallows, but a lot of it also goes unresolved. But that's where Fantastic Beasts come in. Credence's Obscurus, for example, seem like an understandable and reasonable explanation for what happened to Ariana Dumbledore. Overall, it's a pretty small detail in the book, but there's just enough connective tissue there to make you feel like all the pieces still fit together. But beyond that, going into each movie without a pre-existing backstory in the form of the book meant that we were watching second by second new context added to the wizarding world. And that's pretty much where we were at at the end of the first movie. But then we got Crimes of Grindelwald and Secrets of Dumbledore, where in both cases, I felt myself thinking, well, yeah, these are interesting additions, I guess, but they just, they kind of feel like unfinished products. But ever the optimist, I held out hope, just telling myself, well, we're only getting a piece of the final story. And once you know the whole story, it'll all come together and fit beautifully. I always think about it like tying your shoe. Like at this point, you can't exactly see where the knot is going, but at some point you're gonna pull two strings and it's all gonna cinch together and be awesome. Cozy like a shoe, as I always say. Sometimes, never, this, this is the first time. But so far, that has not happened. We're at the end of three out of five movies, and so far we just have a mess of shoestrings all over the place. Which might have been okay, because there were still two movies to come, but as of the filming of this video, it has been over a year since Secrets of Dumbledore was in theaters, and there is zero movement on even planning the fourth movie. I mean, that being said, it hasn't been officially canceled. There's no statement from Warner Brothers or anything like that, but it does seem dead in the water. But so where does that leave us? Fans who just want to hear the end of the story. We're left with questions like, where did Nagini go? Was her inclusion important at all? Why does she go on to support Voldemort? Or that Phoenix that appears at the end of the second movie to confirm that Credence is a Dumbledore. Like, is, is that Phoenix? Fox? Because right now we still don't know. And then there's the timing of all of it. Like the one thing we know about the big duel between Dumbledore and Grindelwald is that happens in 1945. And yet this story started in 1926, which just so happens to be the very same year that Tom Riddle is born and left at Wool's Orphanage, which I have to tell you just does not feel like a coincidence. And then there's the whole prophecy in Crimes of Grindelwald that like drives the entire plot forward, but the movie ends and it's completely unresolved. Who is the great Avenger who returns with wings from the water? 
These are all questions we've all been asking for years, and yet it seems more and more likely like we're never going to get them. So today we're taking things into our own hands and giving our take on how Fantastic Beasts should have ended. Okay guys, real talk for one hot second before we dive into today's theory. Today's episode is sponsored by BetterHelp and it's just one of the easiest things for me to promote because like I love therapy. One of the things I try and do at least a couple of days before work each week is make it to the gym to get in like a nice solid workout. It's a great way to start the day and honestly I walk into the office feeling more clear-minded and focused and less stressed. And it might sound surprising but it's actually the days I don't work out where I end up feeling like I have a lot more to do. My stress level is just higher and it's very easy to become overwhelmed. And that has almost been my exact relationship with therapy. Several years ago, I started my personal therapy journey and I couldn't believe how similar it felt to miss therapy to missing a workout. Though ironically, a lot of times at therapy, my therapist would be like, well, are you, uh, have you been working out this weekend? And I'd be like, no, and he'd be like, well, maybe that's the problem. But just being able to work through or offload the everyday emotions of life can really help you feel less stressed and have a more clear-headed mind. You just feel lighter and more focused for the day. And I wanna emphasize everyday emotions because while therapy is obviously really helpful for like really heavy topics, you might be surprised how just the everyday little things can just add up. So whether you're going through something big or just need to clear your mental cash, BetterHelp is a great option. It's convenient, flexible, affordable, and entirely online. If you want to live a more empowered life, therapy can get you there. If you want to get started, and I super recommend therapy for just everybody, you can head over to betterhelp.com super to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot super for 10% off your first month. Link is in the description down below. Hey guys, just want to give you a little trigger warning for today's episode. It will discuss and show depictions of child loss. We will leave a chapter marker in the show's description and an on-screen cue before the scene mentioned in case that's something that you want to try and avoid. Thanks. All right, how Fantastic Beasts should have ended. Let's start with that prophecy from Crimes of Grindelwald. It drives the entire plot forward and most of the wizarding world seems to think it's about credence. And it goes like this. It's uncruelly banished, despair of the daughter, return great avenger with wings from the water. After Credence's misadventures in New York, his identity is in question, and a lot of the wizarding world seems to think he is the long lost Lestrange child who was sent overseas decades ago. The idea being that Credence was the son cruelly banished, Leda was the despairing daughter, and that Credence is now returning to exact some kind of vengeance. However, that is not the only interpretation of the prophecy floating around. Yusuf Kama also believes the prophecy to be about himself. In his version, Credence and Leda are still the son who was banished and the despairing daughter, but Yusuf is the great avenger who will now avenge his mother by completing an unbreakable vow he made to his father to kill Credence. But it turns out both of these are incorrect interpretations. Leda Lestrange disproves both of these when she reveals that she swapped the babies on the boat and her actual brother Corvus Lestrange died all those years ago. Thus, Credence is not Corvus, and Yusuf doesn't need to avenge anybody because his target was lost at sea. The closest Yusuf actually got to being the Avenger from the water was having these like waterborne parasites in his eyes that Newt takes out. Oh. <sighs> And then after that, he's pretty much fine. It turns out he misinterpreted the parasite as the unbreakable vow coming to like kill him. So whatever. But so then who is the prophecy about? Because it is extremely unlike Harry Potter or really any fantasy story to introduce a prophecy and then just let it go unresolved. Well, if you ask me, the only person who makes sense thus far is baby Corvus. 
After all, he was the banished son and remains the only one present in the story so far. Leta would still be the despairing daughter and Corvus actually did perish in the water, which makes him a candidate for returning from the water. So really what we need to help fulfill this is some sort of winged creature that can survive death. Oh wait. There is a legend in your family that a phoenix will come to any member who is in dire need. Yeah, that phoenix that arrives at the end of Crimes of Grindelwald, that's Corvus. Even in the trailers for Secrets of Dumbledore, there is a water-winged phoenix that shows up. And who does Corvus appear to? The very baby he was swapped with. How serendipitous. But speaking of the phoenix, another big unresolved question we've all been asking is, is the phoenix that appears at the end of Crimes of Grindelwald Fox, AKA Dumbledore's phoenix? And I think ultimately it would have been revealed that yes, this phoenix is in fact Fox. First of all, because one of the random unresolved things from the main Harry Potter books is when Dumbledore reveals to Harry that Fox is the one who donated the tail feathers that now reside in Harry and Voldemort's wands. Harry's wand and Voldemort's wand share cause. Each of them contains a feather from the tail of the same phoenix. This phoenix, in fact, he added and pointed at the scarlet and gold bird perching peacefully on Harry's knee. Like, yeah, it's awesome that Fox is the one who donated the tail feathers, but also like, so what? I mean, the fact that they came from the same phoenix is important, but the fact that it's specifically Fox never really has any payoff. But if the phoenix in Fantastic Beast is Fox, then suddenly a lot of other things begin to fall into place. I mean, for one, it means that that phoenix right there is the source of Harry and Voldemort's wand cores. It also means, as far as the Fantastic Beast timeline goes, that Dumbledore will come into possession of that phoenix by 1937, because that's the year Tom Riddle goes to Ollivander's to get his first wand. But if you take a back a step, if Dumbledore is going to come into possession of the Phoenix, it probably also means that Credence is not going to make it out alive. But honestly, that already feels pretty inevitable, right? Because like, if he survives, then where is he in the main story? I mean, who knows? Maybe not. Maybe they find a way to remove the Obscurus from him and have it be absorbed into Fox or Fox swallows it and then dies and then is reborn. I mean, Fox does do something really similar like that with the Avada Kedavra curse in Order of the Phoenix, but I still think it's more likely that Credence uh, ceases to be. They have sort of set something like that up. Newt does have a removed Obscurus from a person in his case, which is another thing that's sort of gone unresolved. But either way, I still think it's way more likely that Dumbledore just ends up defeating Credence in some big battle. And I say defeating in air quotes because I doubt they're like really fighting. It's possible Credence is even trying to help Newt and Dumbledore do whatever they're doing, but I feel like he could get like out of control or need to be contained and the only way to do that is to defeat him. And I think it will have to at least look like Dumbledore's being really violent towards Credence because then you have maybe an onlooker like Nagini who sees it happening and who cares about Credence and thinks, oh, 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 I do not like that guy. Which is then maybe why she goes on to join Voldemort. Which interestingly gives Nagini herself a little bit more complexity. It's almost as if she's just more against Dumbledore than she is for Voldemort. I mean, ultimately Voldemort puts his soul in her. So at that point, I think she's just like really pro Voldemort as well, but. And then there's the other potential onlooker for this situation who I think would have to be Aberforth Dumbledore, AKA Credence's actual father. 
In Secrets of Dumbledore, it looks like Albus and Aberforth have a fairly good relationship. Like, they actually are working together by the end of the movie, and yet, by Deathly Hallows, we know that another wedge has been driven between them. And if you had Albus sort of destroying Aberforth's son, even if it was, you know, for the greater good, I can see where Aberforth might take a step back again. It would absolutely mean that Albus was at least partially responsible for the loss of the two most important people in Aberforth's life, Ariana and Aurelius. But so how will Dumbledore defeat Credence? Well, I think it's pretty likely that Fox will end up playing a role. I mean, after all, there is that legend in their family. There's a story in my family that a phoenix will come to any Dumbledore in desperate need. And again, I can see a situation where Fox ends up swallowing or absorbing the Obscurus in some way, thus helping Albus in the situation, but also helping Aurelius, who's also a Dumbledore who would have need of a phoenix and would probably feel pretty out of control in the moment. But so then in some ways, it's like Credence doesn't die because if he's absorbed into Fox, then Fox dies, Fox is reborn. So he's kind of still there. Which could explain the extreme loyalty that Fox has with Albus. And at that point, Fox would weirdly be a combination of Credence and Corvus, the Obscurus and the child who died as a baby. Both of which were then sort of resurrected inside the same bird. Which brings us back to the present and the wand cores, where Fox donates two tail feathers, which become the wands of Voldemort and Harry. One who was quite likely born of an Obscurus, full video by clicking the card, and one who almost died as a baby. Like, I always thought it was surprising that Harry and Tom both got a feather from the same phoenix in their wands, when Harry and Tom themselves are so different. Or for me and honest, it's pretty surprising that Tom got a phoenix core to begin with. But with this context, do you see like the obvious parallels between Credence and Corvus and Voldemort and Harry? They represent the duality of the phoenix, which is to say the two sides of conquering death. Voldemort conquers death by trying to escape it altogether. He makes horcruxes. He goes against nature. And this is exactly how an Obscurus is formed, by someone going against their magical nature, by repressing it down. Harry, on the other hand, Harry, on the other hand, conquers death by accepting and embracing it. And as a result, comes back to life at one point, the exact same way a phoenix comes back to life. Minus bursting into flames. And if the whole point of the story is helping set up the twin cores, it also gives us a good reason for the starting point of the story in 1926. Which again, is the same year Voldemort was born, something that has never at all felt like a coincidence. But what it means is that Fantastic Beasts is truly a Harry Potter prequel, rather than just a story that happened before Harry Potter. It also seems to provide some context as to why the Newt Scamander-led Fantastic Beast series is telling the history of Albus Dumbledore. Because it's Newt's expertise with Beast that's going to help Dumbledore contain Credence and ultimately defeat Grindelwald. Ultimately just helps inform specific unexplained plot elements from the Harry Potter series, which is something all good prequels should strive for. No, at least in my opinion. And in the same vein, Grindelwald's rise to power also then sets an example for Tom Riddle to follow. By the time Grindelwald's defeated in 1945, Voldemort would have graduated Hogwarts and already made several of his horcruxes. But the example would be set, and the path would be clear for his own reign of terror to begin. But what's crazy is that the very person who would serve as his example, Grindelwald, would also be the one who set in motion all the things that lead to his defeat. Because after all, Grindelwald is the one who sets Credence against Albus in the first place, which is what would have led to the Twin Cores. 
And that is how I think Fantastic Beasts would have ended. Grindelwald is defeated, but the board is set for Harry and Voldemort to take the spotlight. I mean, seriously, the more I think about it, the more it is just perfect that the whole point is the twin cores. I mean, the last thing the Elder Wand does is repair Harry's wand. The Elder Wand, which started with Grindelwald. Like, ah. Guys, as always, thank you so much for watching today's video. Don't forget to leave a like down if you haven't already and subscribe so you don't miss any future Harry Potter content from us. If you've ever wondered, what if Harry was in Slytherin. Well, great news. We made an entire eight-part series about that. And if you want to check it out, you can click right here. But otherwise, Ben, until next time, I will see you in another lifetime.